episode of Down and Dirty with Denise. And today I have a very special guest. We have done several shows together. We just realized that on Zoom, I think, and in person, he is literally everywhere you go. You cannot go see comedy in New York without this guy being somehow in the mix. Please, sir, introduce yourself. Oh, thank you so much. My name's James Mack. So uh, thank you so much for having me, Denise. Of course, my pleasure. So, you know, we could just get right down to it. I'll ask the first question that I ask everybody. Sure. What's your current relationship status? Uh, I am currently single, uh, not dating anyone or seeing anyone right now. Okay. Are you trying to date or see anybody? Um, so I just moved uh, to like uh, from central Jersey to North Jersey. So mm. now uh, I'm starting to look. I figured I'd give it a couple of weeks so I could get settled in. Okay. And, uh, now start seeing kind of, uh, you know, what happens. So Okay. Is Northern New Jersey a hot spot for dating? Like, where in Jersey are you? Uh, East Rutherford. Okay. So, okay. Uh, well, like, compared to where I was, like, the, the biggest difference is the population. So, like, where I was beforehand in Hunterdon County, it's very rural. Um, so, there's probably more people just in East Rutherford than there were in the entire county where I was at. So, <laughs> so did you date at all while you were in that rural county? Yeah. Um, so I dated, I dated a, a, a couple ladies out there. So um, I also tried the dating like with somebody in New York City, but that was just too far. Like when it's an hour and a half for them to, to get out to see you, like that, that just becomes a little too much of a track. So it is, it is. But let me tell you, I'm in Washington Heights and I host a mic now every Saturday at the tiny cupboard in Bushwick. And that's an hour and a half. <laughs> And I, and it's like just going from one borough to the next, like you think guys in Brooklyn are going to be like, I mean, I've kind of already experienced that people are like Washington Heights, see ya. They don't even care. They don't want to try. Oh, that's one thing about, about New York city that I, that I found really interesting is I've seen people from like lower East side and upper West side, not say like it's too far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I was like, some of the places I've lived, like, it's been like a three hour track, but it was because of the population density of the area. So, right, right. Like, that's like a real logical, you know, explanation. We're, we're too dense of a population. You can find somebody down the street, I guess, but I don't like, like last night I was hanging out at the tiny cupboard. I guess I'm going to give them a lot of props in this, in this podcast now that I'm doing a regular mic there. Um, and I was talking to a few comics after one, one is single, one is engaged, but they were saying like how, like in New York, I guess you can feel like, I mean, dating apps have dating apps are the reason why dating sucks. Like, cause everyone I know in other places, it sucks too. It's the apps, but New York is specific that it's the apps and that, like they were like, I walked down the street and there's a hot girl. And then I walked down the next block. There's a hotter girl. And the next block, there's a hotter girl. And I was like, where are you guys coming from that you think like there were all these hot girls? I guess it depends. Like, like I'm a native New York, even though like technically I grew up on Long Island. But like, is it I guess if you're from a much smaller place, like it does feel like that. Like you're like a kid in a candy store. You really think like, oh my God, there's so many hot people or so many people I'd want to meet and get to know. I can't possibly focus on one person. Well, yeah. And I can kind of under understand that. And I think some of that uh, kind of um, also, if you think about the comedy community, most of the people that we end up uh, hanging out with and talking with are, are really young people too. So they're uh, uh, and, and I'm not saying I'm like grandpa, but compared to most of the comedy community, I am, you know, being well, in my forties. Yeah. Okay. How old are you? Can we talk I'm about 40, that? 43. You're 43. Okay. I'm 38. So yeah. we're not, we're not that different. I do feel old. Yeah. yeah. But, but I'm talking about compared to the rest of the comedy community that we're usually around, they're usually in their mid to early twenties. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> these guys last night, uh, were in their thirties. Uh, oh, okay. One of them is Tori Huggins, who I've had on the podcast. I think he's 34, maybe. Like when Tori told me that, I was like, okay, now I can, now I can 
like like you even more because I was afraid he looked young. You know, I need to know that you're in your thirties. It's like if you're 25, no offense, no matter how cool you are, we're not going to be friends. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes it harder because there's there's such a uh, experience difference in there. Um, but what I was going to say is, is the is the reason for that is like I can I can walk down the street in New York like even if I'm just you know walking from venue to venue. And you will see a lot of very, uh, very pretty uh, people, whether it's men or women. Yeah. Just, you know, especially depending on what part of, of the city you're in. You know, you, yeah. get, you get over in, in the fashion district. Good Lord. Um, I took my I remember I, my nephew came up to see me one time and he's in his uh, mid 20s. And I took him over there just to have fun with him and watch him like because he's from like a he now lives in a really, really sm small town in Georgia. Okay. And he was just like constantly just Turning looking his head around. Looking everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, dude, stop it. You, I can hear your neck crank. So. <laughs> Wait, okay. Are you from Georgia too? Where are you originally from? So I was born in Georgia and I grew up between Texas and North Carolina. Okay. Okay. So like, is New York like such a culture shock? Like that's how I feel sometimes when I go to the South. Like, what do you think? Like not to get into like, I mean, I feel like everybody's talking about Texas this week. Um, but like, what do you think besides just like politics? Like what's the difference just even in like social cues or dating or what, what's the big difference? So I, I think the, the biggest difference, first of all, is uh, uh, um, you have to get rid of misconceptions when you're going to move somewhere. Right. So it's one thing to visit. Like I had I had visited New York City before. But once again, that's that's tourist. You're not you're not in it. You're totally. just kind of a, a piece. Right. Um, and now living up here, it's, it's way different because now I kind of understand more about how certain things work. Mm -hmm. um, now, when you start talking about culture, it's definitely different. Like I grew up, like y'all do not have cotillion up here. Oh yeah. I don't really even know what that is. That's like the balls. Well, uh, cotillion is a class and it has, you have dances for it. Yeah. Okay. But the class is how to teach you how to be a proper Southern lady or gentleman. Did you go to cotillion? You have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. If, if you don't go to the private cotillion classes, they also have it at school. Oh, um, wow. Okay. So the public schools have it. Yeah. And it's not for, despite what people, and it's not just for like the white schools or black, like everybody, you just take it, but there is some good things to it. So it teaches you like how to properly set a table, Okay. Like how to put your napkin on, depending on what you're wearing and what you're eating and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. What else? There, there's a lot of manners involved, like, you know, uh, and I still do this. Like I'll still hold doors for people, not, not, not just ladies, people. Right. So, um, that, you know, like, like standing up to shake people's hands, things like that. Oh, the standing up thing. Let me tell you, this is, um, I went on this date cause I, at this point, I mean, I've had relationships in between, but it's not like I'm 38 and I was like married for 10 years. Like I'm 38 and have been single dating or in, you know, non-serious relationships and serious relationships. So like, like I had like my most serious was like a live-in boyfriend. We were together for like about a year or so. So like when people are like, oh, do you know? Like, of course I know dating. I've like been doing this forever. But like this guy, I think it was like actually one of the first dates after my breakup when with the live-in boyfriend and um, uh, he was annoyed that I was already late. Like I thought he was a weirdo. Like I think sometimes like it's hard with the apps and the texting because like you're like maybe they're just like, you know, you can't really read like social cues in text or you can't tell like sometimes if they're super formal in a text, does that really mean that they're going to be like that in real life? But sometimes you can tell. So I, like, I knew I was like, something feels off a little bit. And then, and then I was walking to meet him. So I didn't actually see the message, um, that he, and he had sent me a nasty message that I read after I left him, but I didn't look at my phone. So I get there and he's like, you're eight minutes late. 
I was like, okay. I was, and he didn't get up. He sat there and he was like, okay, have it. I was like, do you not, do you not want to do this? Like I'm eight minutes later. Are you, are you angry? Do you not? He's like, no, no, you can sit down. I was like, you don't get up. Like you don't stand up when a beautiful woman comes in. He's like, should I be getting up? And I was like, also this takes time. Like you did nothing. Like I can be eight minutes late. And then we had like one drink. It was really awkward. He also was like, did you have something before this? And I was like, no, he's like, well, why at this time? Like people go on dates at six 30, why seven 30? I was like, I don't know. I wanted to go home and change and like eat a bite of something. Like what's your rule? And then like, and then when I left him, I saw the text that he had sent me a nasty text. Like, are you here yet? Or what's your deal? You're late. And it was like, I w- at that point I was maybe like five minutes late. And then I was eight minutes late when I got there. Like that's, I think that's that's a communication thing. You ha- you have to tell people if you have a pet peeve about that, right? Like I, like I know for a fact, like I do, but I've also come to understand that uh, th- that especially in comedy, time doesn't matter. So, <laughs> oh my god, um, comedians are notoriously late and flaky. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was the biggest thing that I had to get used to in comedy um, because I-, I was so used to. Hey, you show up early for everything. And and I still do. And I've had tons of producers that are like, oh my God, thank you for being here early. Like we had somebody drop, you're gonna, we're gonna extend your set. Right. You know, because of that. It, but when I started producing shows, oh my God, like like one of my really good friends knows like I went off on a comic because they were like 10 minutes late. I was like, what are you doing? You're you're late. I told you you're supposed to be here this time and this time. And the comic just looks at me like, what? I know. I know. So so you were also in the military, which is why you're super punctual, right? Uh, no, that actually started from sports. Oh, um, okay. Because, uh, you know, like all the coaches, I played a lot of sports growing up. Like my dad made sure that um, all of us kids, like we had, we had to play sports. We had to do band. We had to do theater. Mm -hmm. um try and learn a language you know stuff like my dad was like you need to be well-rounded because the world's not one avenue your father's smart like that's amazing especially like learning the language like this is a stereotype of like especially americans in general like americans don't care about learning any other language yeah i i kind of cheated because my my grandparents on my mom's side are from germany they came over in the early 30s before all that started okay and uh, <laughs> i have to tell people i'm like no no it was when he was still in jail nobody knew who he was perfect um, <laughs> but uh so i grew up listening to them and that's how i learned most of my german and then i wow. when i was in the military i lived over there for a while um but i cheated in high school and that's what i took with german to yeah no that's like if i had taken hebrew like my hebrew is pretty <laughs> terrible but like, I do have it. And then like, when I lived in Israel, my Hebrew got better and I took classes there. But like, not, like if I was going to go to school now or something, I'd definitely take Hebrew. My sister did that. She took Hebrew in college and like got good grades because it's like easy. Spanish is what I actually took in high school. And I did well, but like the we don't start early enough. Like no. you really need to start a language with kids in like first, second grade, if you start in seventh, it's still too hard. Like some of us can't grasp it, you know? That was one of the amazing things. So uh, um, I know a lot of people for obvious reasons uh, do not like Germany, despite the fact that it was the Austrians that did most of that. But- uh, (laughs) It's okay. My mother doesn't forgive Germans, but it's okay. I I am aware that the people currently living in Germany, I don't know, had really nothing to do with the Holocaust. So I'm okay. But no, I was going to say like um, when I went over there and and, uh, like I got to uh, learn a little bit about their school system, like you have to start taking a second language, if not a third language by first grade. Yeah. So like they usually learn French or English starting in elementary, what we would call um, elementary school, they call first school. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you get to uh, like uh, about seventh grade, seventh year, they start learning possibly a third language. That's amazing. I mean, I, I can't remember who, um, I think it was a French girl maybe that I met in Israel. She told me that like, 
you don't have a choice. Like in other countries, you have to learn English if you want to travel. Like she was like, if I want to travel and go see all these different places and I only speak French, like I can't get around. Like you need to know English. And so like, you know, Americans like don't care because, you know, English people know English. Somehow it became, I guess, sort of like a universal language where, you know, we well between us and the British with all the yeah. wars, you know, that was that was kind of how that worked, you know. Um right. yeah. The, I mean, even even in Germany, like they kind of got to the point to where they were like, you know, we need to know English because there's all these Americans and we need we need their money. So, right, right. The business helps. <laughs> like yeah. wanting to do the business. Everybody yeah. speaks English. Like, um, so it kind of, I guess. Yeah, it all makes sense. But um, like the whole being late thing is like I'm so I'm um, doing another show at home base. Um, This one hopefully will go through (laughs) Um, because I had to cancel the July one. You were on the first one. So the hope is that like now if this September 21st show goes well, it can really be a more regular thing. Um, but so I'm, I'm co-producing it with Jason Oxhorn so that we can do it together. And like, not all the pressures on me, it, it's like hard to promote, you know, you're producing yeah. all the time. And he, he's like, you are such a more organized, easier person to produce a show with. I'm like, cause I, I'm a lawyer. Like I have a real career. Like, yeah. I'm not just like doing comedy. Like I think part of it is that so many comedians, especially like we were saying, the super young ones, they don't have like office jobs. They're not having to be anywhere. Like I, the mic that I hosted on Thursday, somebody finally showed up at 827. It started. And I was like, okay, you want to get up? I'm here. There's people that are going to walk by on the street. And he was like, how am I like the only one here? And I was like, I don't know. But he also was like telling me how somebody yelled at him in a mic because he was 20 minutes late and gave his spot away. And I was like, you were 20 minutes late to that, Mike. You're 27 minutes late to this one. Like, why would you assume your spot is saved? I mean, I, only if you paid. Like, what? If it's a free mic, they're giving it away, dude. Yeah, the, um, it, there was actually, uh, it, and I thought this was kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if you remember um, the Lantern's mic before everything shut down. Um, I don't remember their mics that much. I I've been seeing their stuff now. What are they called? The comedy shop now? Are they still the lantern lantern? No, they're the comedy shop. Okay. Um, Okay. But the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they haven't changed their website, so I'm going to still call them the lantern. Uh, (laughs) but they had one host and now that person like moved it, moved to Austin. But like, if you were one minute late, they'd be like, nope. And like, cause you had to prepay pretty much also, okay. they'd be like, nah, and you don't get your money back. I'm like, but you haven't even passed the spot that I would have filled. Yeah. They, if you show up and they haven't given the spot away, you should get your spot. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, listen, you know what it is for me now? So I was never a late person until I started working. So at 25, when I graduated law school, yeah. I became perpetually late. Um, and, and, and it's the subways and living far, like it, it's, it's a bitch. Like, so I'm, I'm unfortunately late often these days, anywhere between five to 20 minutes. I'm going to be honest. You know, this podcast is about being real five to 20 minutes. I've been 20 minutes yeah. late a lot. Like I, I've gotten a lot better about that. Um, my biggest thing, and, and it's all, and, I, and I've always been like this, just let me know. Yes. Yes. Um, but I, I was, uh, this kind of came up uh, in my brain. The other thing that's really good. And, and since we are, since uh, this is kind of about dating and everything, is yeah. if you learn, if you learn a little bit of the language, it will go a long way in a foreign, in a foreign country. Oh my God. Yeah. All you need to do is like go to Germany, speak some German to a local girl. And she's like, who is this interesting American guy? Well, the other great thing about it is if you learn some of it, you can hear stuff that they think you don't know what they're saying. Totally. Totally. And uh, it wasn't even in Germany. It was in Nevada. Um, 
when I lived in uh, Reno, I was set, I used to go to a German restaurant that was really good. They made everything in house. Okay. And there was um, these three German girls that were exchange students for the University of Nevada sitting there. Okay. And me and my buddy were sitting over there and we had just been kind of, you know, talking to them in English, you know, back and forth. And then I overheard one of them basically say, she was like, oh, the guy with the, with the, uh, the red hair, which was my friend. She's like, I bet he fucks really good. <laughs> and I just looked over and I was like, yes, he does. And she, but I said it in German and she was like, and I was like, you know, you, I, I was like, you should remember that not everybody over here only speaks English. So Right, right. Yeah. And I then I introduced them and I was like, there you go, man. So they hook up. Mm. oh see nice they ended up dating for like two months before she had to go back to germany yeah oh wow that that worked out well yeah what was reno like i've been there once actually randomly uh reno i I loved it out there um the uh because you're right at the base of mountains and you have lake tahoe right there so you have all the outdoor stuff you want to do but it's almost like a mini vegas yes in that you also have a ton of stuff to do in the city. But the, uh, the other thing, and a lot of people don't know this is there's actually a lot of, uh, native tribal land out there. Okay. Like right around Reno, like you have Paiutes, Apache, Comanche. Um, and if you have to pay like a, it's a, uh, a higher amount than you would for a normal, but like, if you can get a fishing license on there, like it is amazing to go out to, uh, it's called Pyramid Lake. Mm. Um, and you can, it is so clean. You can literally look and watch the fish that you're trying to catch swimming. Wow. That's probably very different than like the lakes here. <laughs> oh yeah. But it's really cool. Cause you're only, you're, you know, you're only like uh three and a half hours to San Francisco. You can go to Sacramento, um, not far from the beach. So Oh, where is the beach? Oh, California. Oh, okay. But you'd have to drive three and a half hours. Yeah. That's a long, that's a long drive to the beach. Yeah, but it's really pretty on the way there. So. Yeah, yeah. Because on Long Island, not that our beaches are always like the best, but like growing up on Long Island, we were like 20 minutes from the beach. Yeah. So, and then, and then, but then further out, like I was 20 minutes from like Long Beach. But then if you wanted to like do, you know, Hamptons, Montauk, Fire Island, like that's longer, you know, Fire Island's super fun. I went there for one weekend this summer. I tried to go like one weekend a summer uh, um, to Ocean Beach, which okay. is like frat boy central. <laughs> yeah, frat boy central. But um, speaking of Native Americans... I've watched this amazing movie on it's on Netflix. I thought it was like a new movie, but it's actually from 2017 with Jeremy Renner called wild river. It's incredible. I don't know why more people don't know about this movie, but it's like basically about, um, they find a girl's body like in the snow. It's, it takes place in Wyoming, which I didn't okay. never thought about Wyoming as like, brutal snow in the winter and she's native american and they just talk about like sort of i guess some of the racial issues between white people and native americans but also just like very interesting like being in this like like brutal snow small town like it's not even a town and like how they investigated like elizabeth olsen plays like this rookie fbi agent that comes in Jeremy Renner is pretty amazing. Like this yeah. was a great movie. Yeah, Jeremy Renner's a really good actor. Yeah. But uh, uh, he he's played a lot of really different roles, and he's always done fairly decent at them. So yeah, I I didn't know all that he was. I mean, I don't know. He's been around for a while. He's really awesome. Yeah. I just I, learned this. I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, there was also a movie kind of like that with uh, Val Kilmer, where he was uh, like half Native American, half white, and he was with the FBI. Now I can't remember the name of that movie, but I don't remember the name, but I and I never saw it, but I do yeah. think I know what you're talking about. Val Kilmer, ooh, he's yeah. sick, not looking good, but I yeah. think now he's okay. I don't yeah, know. 
time has not been well for him. No, <laughs> time has not. He did not age well, but maybe that's because he's sick. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Val Kilmer, interesting. I like, he was in this um, movie that I loved. It had all this like techno music, like in the early 90s or something with Elizabeth Shue that they were in Russia. Yes. Yep. That movie was awesome. Yeah, where he's supposed to be like a secret agent or something. Yeah. Yes. And it takes place in Russia the whole time. Good movie. The music was spot on, especially for that time period. Oh yeah, that's that's the same thing. Most of Europe, because um, I traveled while I was over there, like most of the Europe is still big on like house and techno and. Oh yeah. So, because like pretty much anybody, not, not anybody, I, I don't, I don't want to downgrade people that are really good, but you don't need the vocals, like you oh. don't need that level to uh, of skill to be able to produce it. It's really like knowing the music and being able to put it together. So. Yeah. No, you can say it. There's no singing. So when when it was like very popular back in the day, like when I was finishing high school and in college, I would be like, I need vocals. Like I I want to hear singing. Like I don't want to just like listen to a beat. So like that's what I wanted. But back then, like in those years, even in high school, like I had friends like going into the city to the tunnel, limelight, like all of those like very New York quintessential nineties club techno people. Like it was a very specific point in time that like can never happen again. I feel like, cause people didn't know like what E was going to do to your brain. And also like people were, it was like such a big party scene, like compared to, like me, I wonder if they've done studies on this, but like maybe it's like the biggest party scene, like since like Studio 54 70s era. And yeah. like, I don't know if it's going to ever get back there. I don't know what the, what are the Gen Z kids doing? Are they? Um, I can tell you something uh, if you ever get a chance. So obviously we have Mardi Gras over here and we have, you know, those. But if you ever get a chance to, to go to it, go to Love Parade Parade in Berlin. Oh, okay. Oh my! It is like the uh, um, the gay pride parade. Martin okay. Girl had a had a dysfunctional baby. I feel like that would be too intense for me at my age. Like I don't know if I can handle it. Well, I mean, you could you can like back off of it a little bit, but okay. it's it's definitely an adventure. So yeah. Um, and it's something really cool cool to see also because like everybody, you see people of all kind of races. Like nobody really cares about a whole lot of anything. And they're just out there like drinking together and partying together. Yeah. Yeah. How long did you live in Germany for? Uh, I was there um, for about, I was there for two and a half years, but I was also over there when September 11th happened. So we okay. had a deployment. So um, yeah. Uh, and, that, uh, and, and I'll, I'll say this. So I, I know September 11th is coming up the 20th anniversary and everything. Um, this is the memory that I tell people about when they ask, I don't tell them about where I was when it happened okay. or what was going on. It was the next day. So we, uh, right after it happened, obviously we're on high alert military in a foreign right. country. Um, the next morning there was a line of German kids from all the schools around this post with like flowers and teddy bears and stuff like that to wow. lay to lay at the gate for like, oh my God, I'm so sorry about what happened. And this little girl, like, mind you, I'm in full battle gear, like rifle, pistol, helmet, the whole nine yards. And she walks up to me and hands me this little red teddy bear that I still have. It went on every deployment with me and I still have it. It's sitting on on my uh, bookshelf still. Um, and it's just a little bear. And that's, that's the story that I, that I tell everybody. And I'm like, cause to me, that means more than everything else that happened. Yeah, that's actually really amazing. That's a great memory. And, and also gives you hope, you know, like something so horrific. And then meanwhile, children are like pouring out love. Like children are just so innocent. Like they really just like show you like everything's going to be okay. Cause yeah. they love, they just want to have, 
like, you know, they, they have no filter yet. So like, they're so pure, like, uh, that's really sweet. My memory of September 11th, I was a freshman in college. Like I woke up to, I had my, you know, I went random roommates, uh, freshman year and my roommate was actually a sophomore and, I woke up, like my classes were later. I woke up after the planes hit and she let, had left me a handwritten note that said, planes flew into the Twin Towers. They think it has something to do with Israel. And I was like, what? And like, then I call my mom and I figure out what happens. But like that, it just like, she's so sweet. This, this old roommate of mine, like she, she like, it's like anything that is terrorist related, like has to go in line with Israel or whatever. And like, I'm half Israeli and I live there and like, you know, all this stuff. So that like, it's like the first thing that comes to your mind. And it's like, no, it actually had nothing to do with Israel. Like where Israel's not responsible for everything, despite what people want to say. Yeah. Um, no. And she didn't mean it like that. Let me just say yeah. that like very blunt. She, she didn't mean it like that. She didn't know. Um, but that was like really crazy. And then they canceled classes that day and like, you know, um, but I wasn't in the city, you know, and neither was my sister is five years older than me and was living in the city already. But she luckily um, was in Florida for like a work thing. Um, so and then my and then the rest of my family was on Long Island. So we were all like super safe and OK. But that I mean, being a native New Yorker and, and having people like my sister's roommate at the time was working there and ran down the stairs. Like her boss was like, no, 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 we're not waiting for word from anybody. Like we're running out the building. Cause like yeah. the thing is like in the second building, like I get it, they didn't know, but that's why I always say like, your manager doesn't know anything. Why your boss doesn't know what's going on. Like if you need to leave, you, you fucking run. Like that's it yeah. because, and it, and it's not their fault. They didn't know, but like, you don't listen to, your boss who has no other knowledge more knowledge than you you do what your gut is telling you and you fucking run see and and listening to your story the first thing that uh and i wasn't laughing at your story i was kind of laughing because in germany we were six and a half we were six hours ahead yeah so we're get when that happened it was towards the end of the day for us right right and we thought it was a training exercise like even my sergeant major was like, that shit didn't really happen. That's some stuff wow. that uh, because it happens all the time over there. They make fake videos of like places exploding and being like, all right, you're on alert, guys. And you're like, all right, whatever, dude. And That's I remember interesting. And I remember like because uh I was on admin duty that day and just my sergeant major just screaming down the hall for everybody to get into his office. And we're like, okay, what is it this time? Is it a chemical attack or whatever? And we go in there and, and he has his TV up and we see one of the buildings, um, you know, it is on fire. And I remember uh, a buddy of mine was like, wow, they're getting way better with this. Oh shit. That's Peter Jennings. Yeah. And we were like, oh, it's not an exercise anymore. And, and like, did you guys like, especially being so far away, but being military, like what was your initial reaction? Like, it's, it's actually interesting to ask this question to someone like you, who really, you, you were already in the military. Yeah. Um, I I can tell you, you go through a couple first was the reality of what you're seeing. Right. I can tell you, it took me a second to kind of get it. Um, and I have, uh, quite a few of us, you know, deal with trauma through humor. Right. Of and course. one of my friends was like, well, at least it wasn't in the South. Uh, I was like, no, no. Right. But you got to start, like, we started making some jokes just to try and get through it real quick. But then you didn't have time for that because really quick, like my Colonel's phone goes off and he's right next to, to my Sergeant Major. His phone goes off and he's like, guys, it's real. Get ready. Right. Right. It's tough. Um, it's what, so were you, st- um, did you stay in Germany or did your whole position or your team deployment, like, did that change? And they, and they took you out of Germany to deal with September 11th. 
No, for uh, well, you got to remember we didn't go into Afghanistan until almost a month later. Right. Okay. So, but no, for the next seventy-two hours, we were up and patrolling constantly. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that happened in Germany that, like, most people in the states never found out about. Like, we had two uh, suicide bombers try and come on our post. Oh shit! Wow. The day, the day of September 11th, the Polizei caught forty-four different people trying to blow up post within two hours of the attack. Wow. Okay. Um, you had that the night of September 11th, we had a guy, we had, he had nothing to do with it. He just, just some crackhead decided to stand on German soil. Cause there's a certain distance that the American post extends out to for okay. security reasons. He stood right outside of our post. Like he knew how far we could go Okay, and pulled a knife on me and one of my friends. Damn. And we couldn't do anything because he's not on our property. That's the other right. thing is, um, yeah. Uh, but like he stood just far enough away to where he knew we couldn't do shit. And I made my, a guy I'm still really good friends with and the biggest dude I've ever met in my life. <laughs> the guy's name is Olaf. He is now a major in the German Polizei SWAT command. Okay. At the time he was just a Lieutenant. This dude is seven two, maybe three seventy five, and he's all scrunched up in a van because we had to call the Polizei to come out and deal with this dude. Right. And Olaf's big ass gets out of that little Volkswagen van and stretches, walks over, grabs the dude by his hair, and just throws him into the van. Jeez, wow. And he just looks at us and hands me his card, and he's like, "All right, man, if you need anything else, let me know." This is the stuff that like, I feel like people need to hear more about this, like more on like one-on-one, -on -one, like this kind of conversation, right? Because we, we like your average American, like me watches, you know, people on TV and like people talk about like their military experience. But if you don't personally like have a conversation and know what our military has actually been through, you don't get a feel for it. Like, you know, especially like let's be honest, like we're in bubbles, you know, especially like yeah. in, in certain communities or certain cities. And like, I don't have personal friends that served here. I do have a lot of personal friends that served in the, the Israeli defense forces. Yeah. Um, so that I actually know more, but I would like to know more about like the American military. I mean, my American grandfather was in the Navy in world war two. He, he served here. So it's like, you know, interesting and it's important to like get these stories out um so that people know exactly like the experience especially you know after now that everything now that we pulled out of afghanistan and now that everything i don't know gone to yeah. shit whatever is going on um yeah what whatever's going over I, i've had quite a few people call me up and they're like dude what's going on i'm like you must have forgot my last appointment was 2008 buddy i don't know Right, right. But you have a perspective that the rest of us don't have. Well, I mean, I still know people that are in. So like, uh, like, like I said, I got my last appointment was 2008. I actually retired in 2010. Okay. So, so I still, I still know people that are in. I know people that were on rotation to go over. Yeah. Um, if that didn't go. So, but I mean, it's the same thing. Like I'll ask them every now and again. Hey, what's changed? What's going on? But I, I try my best to distance myself from it. Yeah. So, um, just because like, and, and just to be honest, like a lot of veterans feel like this is um, like a, a major loss for us, you know, all the work, yeah. all the blood, all the sweat, all the people we lost. Um, and now to have it just be like, all right, we're done. Right. And then to fall to the Taliban you well, know, within no time at all. Well, that's the, th that's the thing is even on my last appointment, we kind of knew that was eventually going to happen. And, and uh, I don't usually agree with any politician. I don't care what their stance is, <laughs> okay. uh, but Biden said exactly what most of the vets are thinking. And the, the Afghan military did not have the heart to fight for their own freedom. Right. Well, what I often think, and I don't know if this is like technically a controversial statement, but especially because like I actually have lived in the Middle East and like yeah. and stuff, 
Um, I mean, Israel is a very unique place and a real democracy, despite what people want to say about it. But um, like I could have that conversation forever because I'm actually very well versed in in his modern Israeli history. But like um, in general, I think, yes, we're supposed to help the world, right? Like as like a strong nation and, and, and as a military power, we're supposed to help people in need. And I really like feel for like Afghan women and children and stuff like that. But the other side of it is like other cultures don't want the same things they don't like. And I'm not saying that as an excuse, like the Taliban is terrible. They shouldn't be in power. I feel for people. I think they're like, we could see from photos about Afghan men don't want it either. But I think that we have to sort of understand like where, where it comes from and that not everybody wants like a Western democracy and, and just sort of understand just like different cultures, not necessarily there, but even like the whole Arab spring, like they were sick of being poor. It wasn't that they all of a sudden wanted, wanted like a, uh, you know, like a democratic nation. I think that like, like I, when I I lived in DC for a little bit and I would talk to people there, that was when like the Arab spring had happened and they were like, well, we're going to have, you know, a democratic election no matter what. I'm like, but they don't even like you're putting, Yes, we want democracy. Okay, wonderful. But like, you're also not understanding, like, they still like when you when there was a poll that came out, don't quote me on this listeners, but there was like a poll that came out that said that most people wanted Sharia law still. So like, I was like, you're not understanding like the actual cultural values of other countries. Um, But there are human rights violations. It's a really hard situation. Yeah, Uh, I, I, I read something and God, I wish I could tell you who the author was now. Um, it, it was an article in the Washington Post, and that's all I can remember right off the top okay. of my head. But they had a, uh, um, it was a British intelligence officer, and they were talking about like why pretty much the, the Af- Afghans are, are willing to fall back in line with the Taliban so quickly. And he made a really good point. He was like, even in America, the people that are like trying to, you know, take democracy everywhere in to everyone he goes think about it he's like from what was it uh uh, you know 1600s when we first landed Mm -hmm. or when they first landed not we i wasn't part of it no neither was i i'm a jew from (laughs) eastern europe (laughs) uh my family may have come over to fight the americans a couple times but that was about it okay Uh, (laughs) for money money. Uh, but even that, because remember, it started as a religious settlement. Right. And it took over a hundred and some odd years for people to get the idea of, hey, we can govern ourselves. Right. From that to that. And now, and then it took even longer for finally, okay, well, a majority of people get to govern themselves. So. Right. Yeah. And, it, it, yeah keep going. And so you're you you would have to literally stay in Afghanistan in order to change that mindset. You would have to stay three full generations is what they came up with. You know, I don't know. I I, I don't I'm not that level of sociology trained or psychology um, to know. But you would have to stay like three generations of constantly, you know, showing them, hey, this is democracy. This is how this works. Blah blah. Because even the people that we put in power. They were crooked as shit too. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I there's like evidence of like Karzai like getting paid off to allow a guy that was former Taliban to be part of his um his office, but he was willing to take the money. Right. Let him right. In. Yeah, so, I think I, I really think Americans are like don't realize like people don't want our values. Yeah. They don't know that they, they, they don't know different, you know? So like, I feel like we, ha- it, it's like a balance between like fighting for human rights um, with also like understanding that culturally it's like very, very, very different. Um, yeah. I just feel like it's a recipe for disaster. I don't have an answer. Like I, I'm not, you know, an expert in anything like I, I don't know. It just is awful. And I feel, I wish it could be a, 
like in a perfect world, right? Like, wouldn't it be nice if, if, if everyone could have gone out that wanted to get out, you know, like this is the problem. Well, one of the, one of the good things that kind of came out of it, and this started in Iraq actually was you started getting veterans who had gotten out that were like, Hey, I'm going to go in under my own money and, uh, you know, and groups of them were going in even into Afghanistan to get other Americans out. Oh, wow. And they're still doing that. And they have no Geneva Convention coverage there. If they get caught, whatever happens, happens. Wow. You're a okay. private citizen in another country. Damn. Um, yeah, there were there was a, a few newspaper articles about it. They called themselves the Pineapple Express. So uh, they landed... Oh, wait, they never said where they landed, but they landed in another country and then just kind of went over, started and developed kind of their own uh, underground railroad, for lack of a better expression, to okay. get to get Americans and other people out. And also like the translators we had over there. Yeah. Because so, uh, and this the, this is another one where when people are like, oh, it's it's this president's fault, it's this president's fault. It's been, we've been asking for the translators to get green cards since 2002 when we left the first deployment. Wow. These people aren't safe. Right. If we leave, they're going to get killed. Right. Their whole family, maybe their whole village will get killed. And and so you think about that's been, you know, all of them. So regardless of whether it's Republican, Democrat, whatever, I know it's been an ongoing thing. It's come up numerous times and people are like, oh, we'll deal with that when we go to get out. Now we're getting out and it's not dealt with. So Right, right. I mean, everything is just like a royal fuck up. Like that's yeah. what it's like. Like nothing was done properly. And like, yeah, why isn't like there should be like an expedited process. Just give them green cards. Like green cards are hard. Like I actually don't know that much about immigration law. I took one one class once in law school. Yeah. I don't know anything. But like in I just believe like things need to be better and more efficient in like an emergency situation. And like, that should be one of them where like, you're trying to get translators out of a war zone where they could get killed and that should just be done. Like, I, I don't understand. Yeah. The last bill that I saw get wrote up was they were going to get automatic citizenship for them and their immediate family. And it just died on the floor. They refused to yeah. take it for a vote. And that one really upset me because I was like, you know what, dude, I'm like, these are people it's, it's not like we have questions on whether they're loyal. Like they were already putting their life on the line for what we were doing. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really sad, my podcast is sad, but we, this is important. No, this is important. Like, I really think like what I'm trying to do with my podcast is like, yeah, we'll talk about you know, dating, sex, relationships, but getting down and dirty with Denise is getting down and dirty about anything. Like we're getting into the nitty gritty and being super honest and transparent and talking about lots of things because we're multifaceted people. Like that's what I want to yeah. say. So um, to totally switch courses as we're going to let our listeners go, let's leave them on you know, a light note off yes. with my, with my question that I ask everybody at the end, totally, totally. There's no transition that can do this. I'm just going to ask it. If I actually could, had one, but okay. <laughs> if you could get down and dirty with anyone, no consequences, like, um, you're not going to get a disease. If you were with somebody, it wouldn't be cheating. They'd be okay with it. Like, who would it be and why? So it took me the longest time because because when you first asked me to do this, I listened to a, a few of the few Okay, videos, thanks. And I was like, all right, so let me start thinking about this. <laughs> uh, and it came down. I, I, could, I couldn't eliminate one of these two. No, so one of them, And one of them is in the comedy community, Rachel Feinstein. Oh, okay. I'm down with that. Good choice. She's awesome. Oh yeah. And I've met her twice and she's really cool to be around. And I think it would be fun. Yes. Um, The other one is like somebody that 
uh, I had a crush on like as a late teen and just kept it was Christina Ricci. Oh, okay. Wednesday Adams. I like that. I like yeah. that. Uh, yeah. yes. And, uh, yeah, I think either one of them, I think it, it'd be fun, but also like, it's not one of those where, uh, you, you would think like, it's going to like get out of hand where you have to like go see an ER later. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Christina Ricci, my only thing about her is that she's at least the last time I've seen her in something, she's very skinny. She has like a lollipop head. Are like talking, she has a big head on her body. Are she's, you talking about from that movie with, uh, um, uh, oh, now I can't. Black Snake Moan? Yeah. Yeah, but in general, like even she was on this show that I actually really liked, Pan Am. I thought it was like a, a cute show. Margot Robbie was in it. Like it had a lot of people in it back then. It was like two seasons. She got very skinny. I didn't know how skinny she was like. Huh. I haven't seen her on Pan Am. I'll have to go look at that. Yeah, um, it was canceled after two seasons, but it was like it was like, you know, Pan Am when like flying was like high class, you know? Yeah. But okay, I like those. So um, how can everybody find you? Plug the shit out of yourself. Yeah. Um, so for my stuff, uh as a as a comic, you can look at for James Mac comedy. Um, I also uh, produce a couple different shows with Headspace and Timing Comedy. You can look that up. And also, I, uh, I strictly produce, I am not a performer on a comedy game show called Winging It Comedy. And we recently got picked up by Amazon Music. Wow. So, so we are now on Amazon, uh, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and Pandora, and of course, iTunes. So. That's amazing. I yeah. have to listen to that. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course.